brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hmm? Ah. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Women have a lot to navigate, and I just think it's really important to support women when I can. That's awesome. Well, I won't bother you anymore, but thank you so much. My pleasure, Rachel. Oh, what do you do, by the way? Oh, I'm, um... I'm a journalist. <gasps> Amazing. Yeah. What outlet? I'm freelance, so all over the place. But um, I actually, I wrote a profile about you. I mean, not just you. Uh, also, you know, it was um, 10 power women in the tech world. It was for uh, business world. You wrote that? Yes. <laughs> You're kidding. Mm -hmm. That was a fucked up piece. What? Yeah, I remember that. That was a hatchet job. Hello, welcome to The White Lotus, a podcast dedicated to the show, The White Lotus. We're the resort managers. If you need anything, let us know. And please, enjoy your stay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jenny. And I'm Randy. And this episode, we're covering The White Lotus, Season 1, Episode 2, New Day. Aloha. Um, <laughs> a couple things before we get started. I just wanted to mention if you're hearing this on House Podcastico, which is our podcast where we publish different shows all together for people to get them all in one place, it would actually help us a lot if you like White Lotus and plan to keep listening that if you would go to the individual podcast, which is called Welcome to the White Lotus on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts and just follow or subscribe to us, especially at the beginning, it's helpful because then it will raise up in the search results when people are looking for uh, White Lotus. So we appreciate that. I'll put a link in the show notes for people who are willing to do that. Thank you. 
Um, I also wanted to mention we're recording earlier than we normally would this week because Jenny and I and our two kids are getting ready to go off to Hawaii this week. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And watching the White Lotus is getting me, totally getting me in the mood (laughs) for some beach time. And a potential murder. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So we booked a dinner at the Four Seasons Maui where the White Lotus was filmed in hopes that we can snoop around a little bit. Uh, There's two levels of dinners that you can get there. We're getting the bottom level. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's there's multiple restaurants and I was... uh, you know, and I was like, which one did they film at? And I'm watching the, the show and I'm like, it looks like they're outside on a patio and I'm trying to match it to like the restaurants you see on the website. And I was like, oh, thank God. It's the one that just sells pizza and pasta and not Wolfgang Puck's Spago, right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to look really closely and just take in the, because often I won't focus on anything but the characters and what they're saying, you know, but I want to really get the environment in my head so I can really be like, yeah, this is the place. And, uh, yeah, we're, yeah, it's going to be exciting to be there. And we're going to be recording from Hawaii on our next episode. So that'd be (laughs) kind of fun. Wow. (laughs) That's quite an honor. (laughs) All right. So let's get into this week's episode. It's the white Lotus season one, episode two, new day. Randy, what did you think about this one? I liked this one. I do feel like it's a little bit of a setup episode, Mm. but I really like that all the different families are beginning to intermingle and just seeing how that can have disastrous repercussions. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing about this show because everybody, I said it last time, but it's about perspectives and everybody's in their own world and they're forced to kind of be in this situation where they're all thrown together and then you see how much or how little they connect. And sometimes like they'll make a half-hearted attempt to connect. Oftentimes they're totally clueless of that anyone else has any perspective different than their own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like each time there's more disaster than there is positive in their interactions. (laughs) I would say that's true most of the time, but I feel like occasionally there's just a genuinely nice moment in this show, or at least, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's all nuanced. So there's levels of genuineness or sincereness in things that you might not expect in a Mm -hmm. show like this. I also feel like if you weren't watching from the outside, and you were one of those people having an interaction, you would think like, oh, I had a really great interaction with this other person. But watching it from the outside, you're like, no, you guys weren't even talking to each other. Yeah, (laughs) you thought you were on the same wavelength. And then it makes you question, how many times did I think I was having a great interaction? And the other person was on a totally different wavelength. (laughs) (laughs) I So not to derail us immediately, but I had a conversation at an event where we were serving uh, the soda that I make. And everybody else was serving beer. And I'm up in uh, Maine near the L.L. Bean uh, flagship, essentially. But there's also a B&M baked beans factory nearby. And this woman came up and was saying like, oh, I love going to factories. I went to the bean factory recently and we were just like, oh, wow, what did it smell like? It must have been amazing. And she kind of paused for a second and she was like, 
yeah, I guess it smelled pretty good. <laughs> and then we had this whole long conversation back and forth. And at the end, I realized she was talking about the L.L. Bean Boots Factory. And I was talking about a beans factory. But we probably still had like a five or ten minute conversation where I feel like we both got what we wanted out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Yep. Jenny, what about you? Similar. I mean, I one thing that struck me about this episode was just how polite everyone is. You know, everyone when they talk to each other, they're like, hello, and they're complimentary. They make sure, you know, they compliment and they say good things, uh, they say please, they hedge, all that stuff. Um, and yet you can tell that these conversations are going every which way. Um, why everyone's <laughs> still very, very polite. Um, whether it's uh Tanya and Belinda or or uh was it Rachel and Nicole? I mean, but it's it's just great because that's the human condition, it's the human comedy, watching everybody so politely, you know, go downhill. <laughs> yeah, even um Shane and Armand are oh, yes. <laughs> trying to be polite to each other, right? And you know what's under the surface. They're both frustrated with each other and pissed off, but when they're together, at least up till now, they're trying to be okay. You know, like as Shane said, I tried not to be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of wonder looking at that as another guest in the hotel if you would have just been like, oh, those two just had a pleasant conversation. Yeah, maybe. But knowing what we know, we're like, both of them wanted to kill the other. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, I really liked it a lot. I really. I don't remember a lot of the details of the show because it's been a while since I saw it, but watching this episode, there were one or two standouts that I was like, oh yeah, that was like a big moment in the show. We'll talk about it when we get to our points, but I just love that there's moments of connection and actual sublimeness, and then there's sharp moments of disconnection, major disconnection, <laughs> it, 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 and just watching it now as we're podcasting on it and getting really diving into it. I looked at some things in a new way, which was kind of fun. Mm -hmm, for sure to really dissect it so let's get into the dissection randy what's your first point all right well i'm gonna continue on with a category of looking behind the veil mm -hmm. and getting to see what's going on with the workers when the guests aren't around and i think we get a uh a side-by-side -side of this at the very beginning where we see all of the characters slowly waking up in their beds but outside, the employees are setting up chairs and getting the beaches uh, all set up for the guests to come. We also see Belinda arriving to work looking exhausted. She's not smiling. She's like awkwardly adjusting her clothes. Um, Armand is also very stressed because it seems like he was upset that he missed Lonnie's pregnancy, but it may also be that he really wants to start drinking that we eventually find out. Um, and these are all just those things that if this were a show just about the guests at the hotel, you would never see any of this going on. But in reality, this is going on in the background all the time. Um, one of the ones I wanted to, point out to you guys and try and get your feedback on is when Shane is piling up food on his plate at the breakfast, there are two employees who are just staring at him, giving him this look. And I can't quite place what this look is supposed to be. I don't know if they're shocked that he's taking so much food 
or if they look hungry, like they want some <laughs> of the food or, or quite what it was. And I don't know if you picked up on that or saw that yourselves. I didn't uh, remember that, you know, the first time I watched the show, I saw it um, when I watched the show last night and I was very puzzled. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't show up again later in the show. And I had no idea how to interpret it. Because they definitely had weird expressions on their face. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, I mean, I didn't think he had that much food on his plate. I mean, <laughs> maybe that yeah, it, says yeah, something about me. But <laughs> I was like, it's it a buffet. Is it all you can amount. eat? Get as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't even notice that at all. Yeah, it's just like a a quick insight into like what the staff might be thinking while these things are going on. Um, They weren't being uh, vague enough, or maybe they were vague enough since we don't know what. But yeah, yeah, vaguely, they were vaguely judgmental of or something. It was it was (laughs) too vague because I was like, are they just trying to show that these are darker people waiting by or? Is there, you know, but the expressions on their face seemed way more than that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm glad I wasn't the only one that was just completely missed that one. But yeah, we get a couple more instances of looking behind the veil. Um, Armand is incredibly stressed out after he talks to Shane's mom's travel agent. (laughs) And he snaps at that other employee uh, who says, do you need anything else, boss? And he just goes, I'm busy. But I do like that the other employee response, he's not just like, oh, I'm so sorry. He just goes like, okay, and then storms out of the room. Like, he's like, yeah, I've dealt with this before. But it's seeing all of these things that would be hidden away from the guests that I just, I find so intriguing, and I love seeing it in mm-hmm. this show. And, you know, we've talked about the difference between how things look on the surface and what's really going on underneath. And we know that Armand from the first episode is all about not is about putting on this mask of pleasantness for the, and non-specificness for the guests. But I think we're Mm -hmm. seeing the toll that that can take because they're suppressing anything real. And they're also put under a lot of pressure to just be perfect for the guests. So I think that's kind of the point of this episode, because in my opinion, in the first episode, Armand seemed okay. Unless I'm forgetting something. He, he does. He seemed like he was a master of his environment, you know, a master at work, but now it seems like maybe that's taken a toll on him. Yeah. I kind of, pictured him as the anchor for all the other characters like all the other characters are kind of bouncing off of each other and getting a little bit crazy with their emotions and it seemed like Armand was always sort of a centering point but within this episode we start to see him crack and then of course at the end it seems like he's potentially relapsed which just sets it up for like all right well if the the safety guard is now coming down what is gonna happen (laughs) yeah exactly that's why it's a setup Mm. episode I mean, yeah. I, it, it just seems to me a, a tragedy. I mean, I, I guess that kind of job might take a toll on you, but that is his job. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and that's when you run a hotel, that's a that's a huge job. I mean, I, I consider it almost like being a concert master or whatever, not concert master, a conductor, right? Um, it mm-hmm. takes enormous people skills, enormous organization. Um, and I don't know how long a typical... I don't know. Hotel manager lasts, <laughs> but <laughs> but for him to, I mean, if it is stressing him out, um, then then that's just sad because he's he's obviously a flawed but capable 
you know, human being. And apparently for five years, he was able to keep it together. And now, <laughs> you know, this uh, confluence of a lot of crazy things uh, is, is, you know, is the tipping point, which is, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of imagine that in a hotel, there must be a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I'm sure if we yeah. talk to a hotel person, they're going to be like, oh, you want the greatest hits? You know, yeah. they would have a really good story. I mean, I just worked at a movie theater and I was tired of dealing with people after two years yep. of that, coming up complaining about right. the price of the Cokes. And I'm just a 16-year-old kid. I, I don't set the prices. So being in a hotel, I think, is even more. But I mean, the idea of this show is taking people from all these different perspectives. And, and because it's a drama, then it has to come to a head, right? So he has to kind of fall apart. He can't just be good at the job. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, oh, yeah. if you had <laughs> yeah. everything bad that usually happens in a year happen in like one day, <laughs> yeah. I think that but, would be you know, I was pretty th- bad. Yeah, you're kind of right, though. I mean, a, he fucked up and booked double booked the room and the guests complained and that's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's not a big deal that he messed up this thing, but it seems like something that a guy like that should be able to handle or at least take the hit and move on. But Mm -hmm. I think what really got him was Lonnie. I was a little confused because when Belinda comes along, She's like, how's Lonnie? And he goes, who's Lonnie? <laughs> and he, yeah. she's like, wait, are you serious? The trainee that had a baby in your office. So at first I'm like, oh, he forgot about her pretty quick. We're always kind of gauging whether he's a good guy or not. And I'm like, oh, seems like not a good guy. But then he goes, she's at the hospital. I think she's okay. How's the baby? He's all, well, if it had died, I think I would have heard. <laughs> so, so again, it seems like uh, callous. But then he's seemingly hard on himself. He goes, I was criticizing her all day and she was in fucking labor. So I think if my take on, I don't, I don't, I'm not hundred percent confident in my take, but it's like he, he sees that he missed something huge about this staffer's pain and it's while he's trying to coach her to be this cipher, this uh, mask of pleasantness. And in doing that, if you're going to be this mask of um, vague pleasantness for the guests, then you're repressing everything or hiding everything that's really going on with you. And so in coaching her to hide what was really going on with her, he missed what was really going on, which was something huge that she's pregnant. So my armchair psychology take on this is he realizes that he's also hiding all of that for himself. It's all under the surface and he's suppressing it. And we also learn that he's an alcoholic who's five years sober. So he's suppressing his um, desire to have a drink too. And I think all of that, he's just holding everything back. I think that's something, at least I'm in the ballpark of what's going on with him, where he's just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't hold it all back. And it's all coming to a head. And just when that happens, I, bag of drugs is delivered to him (laughs) (laughs) yeah what do you guys think about what i just said do you think there's any yeah i i think i agree with that it does feel like he at the very least his confidence has taken quite a hit because i would assume he prides himself on being able to read what guests need before they even tell him um so to not be able to notice something as big as somebody being pregnant Probably makes him second guess. Yeah, in labor, yeah. He's probably second guessing his ability 
and wondering if he's any good at this at all. And then on top of that, he is, yeah, like you said, repressing, but then also Shane's coming along and like jabbing him so hard during this that he's also angry. Um, But also one take that I was also getting from this is because he couldn't remember who Lonnie was, I almost thought maybe he was only thinking about the fact that he wants a drink and he's been constantly repressing that part of him as well. And something kind of this big feels like an excuse for him to go have a drink. And it's almost like he's asking Belinda for permission. And he's saying like, look, I screwed up this huge thing. Clearly I deserve to go have a drink. Like I don't need to like hold back on this anymore. So I feel like there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of that mixed in as well. I really want it to be that he's just a nice guy who like is devastated (laughs) by that. But I do wonder if that's playing a factor in there. I mean, that's how I kind of, that's how I interpret it. I mean, he's, he's someone who experienced a failure at his job, which was, he didn't notice one of his staff was pregnant and that's, you know, that shakes your confidence and your abilities. And then Shane comes up and just reminds you of like, the part you hate so much about this job, you know, that you hate having to deal with all the time. Um, So, you know, your confidence and your abilities is shaken. You don't like your job. Really, you just want to drink and get the heck out of here. I mean, like, you know, I I kind of understand where he's coming from. And, 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 yeah, yeah, and you wish, and you wish, you know, like Lonnie played a bigger part in it, but she was, she was the impetus. And it's all kind of internal. There's this self-hate that was brewing, you know, and, and hatred of your job that was brewing. And now it's coming out because of mm-hmm. various catalysts. I also think, like, I, I've had experiences in the modern world. We need to deal with, like, support staff. Like, I, I got overcharged for something uh, by AT&T when I, when I was uh, out of the country. And... I called and I could just feel that the person didn't want to admit that they made a mistake. And <laughs> so I had to ask for their supervisor, you know, and it got pretty heated and, and I knew I was right. And there was another time when I was younger and there was some deal with like some air conditioner that was left in our apartment too long. And then we had to pay an extra fee, but it wasn't, I had requested that it be taken out, but the person whose responsibility it was, didn't want to admit their mistake to their boss. So they were just trying to push it off on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a little bit of that with Armand where he just doesn't want, even though he's in the wrong, he said it, he fucked up the reservation. He doesn't want to give Shane the satisfaction. He, you know, when he says, can you just admit that you made a mistake? And he says something like, well, if there was a mistake made, then I'm sorry. It's like, fuck you, dude, you made the mistake. Like, I don't like Shane and I do like Armand, but Armand's wrong here. And he, um, he, I think, you know, he, he, he just doesn't, there's an indignity to having to admit like when you're in this position where people are complaining at you all the time, you get tired of having to admit that you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I understand where he's coming from, but um, 
I also don't blame Shane, you know? And then when the travel agent calls and berates him, he finally, like Randy, I thought about you because you were saying, let's see if Armand actually ever does do anything. And he gives him a free bottle of wine. I looked it up on BevMo. It yep. was like $60 <laughs> bottle of wine. Yeah. Yep. Oh, champagne, yeah. <laughs> but um, so he actually did something nice, but he didn't want to have to do that. And I think that might've been like the final straw that broke him and made him relapse because he actually had to come through on something, you know? Yep. <laughs> well, since we're on that, I wanted to mention that because I do have my Armand request watch. Yeah. And I that one I am putting in the maybe category. <laughs> and the reasoning for that is because he does a, I think that champagne, if you get like the full size bottle like they have, is about a hundred dollars. Okay. Um for those guys, that's not much. I would no. say no. So <laughs> I looked up again the price of the top tier rooms at this hotel, the one that it's based in and for the room that they are supposedly renting it's twenty nine thousand dollars a night wow so they're staying there for six nights that's a hundred and seventy thousand dollars that's the price of a house to stay there for a week and essentially armand is handing them a dollar yeah (laughs) that's right but shane didn't seem upset by it no. Well, fine. I think he was distracted too yeah. with his uh conversation with Rachel. But yeah, just that that amount of money and then a hundred dollar like the taxes alone for that's twenty four thousand dollars. Mm. <laughs> like in s- such an insane amount of money. It's a slap so in the I don't, face. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if a hundred dollar <laughs> bottle of champagne changes that, but <laughs> or 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 the another interpretation is that the, the show writers were like, if we put in that, you know, brand of champagne that costs a thousand dollars a bottle no one will understand it because no one will know that brand right so they had to go with something recognizable (laughs) i didn't recognize it all right jenny oh Yeah, yeah, Jenny I and I have fine road. taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> we have one hundred dollar bottle of wine, you know, bottle of champagne tastes. Maybe not thousand dollars. <laughs> All right, Jenny, what's your what else do you want to talk about? So one of my I wanna say it's a favorite scene, but one of my most thought provoking uh one of the scenes that I thought was most thought provoking was the look on Olivia's face when she sees Paula walking down the path with um the local boy. I don't know. Does Studley he have a name? Dude. The Studley yeah. Dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll find his name out uh, eventually. But um, yeah, I don't think we know it in the show yet. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's interesting because you look at the expression on her face, and it's not happy. It's not even like oh, interested or anything like that. It's like it's pissed. Annoyed, right. Yeah. So, so, and there's so many ways to interpret it. And that's what I love about the show is that, you know, it's not a first person novel or, or what, whatnot. You have, you have no idea what's going through her head. Why is she pissed? Why is she annoyed? I mean, like you would think if there are two girls going to Hawaii, she'd be like, tee hee hee, you know, mm. you're, you're going to get laid. But it reminds but- <laughs> me of the look on her face when she saw Rachel take off her robe too. Right, right, yeah. So maybe jealousy, you know. <laughs> yeah. So is yeah. it jealousy? Is it jealousy because she's not getting laid? Is it jealousy because she's interested in Paula romantically? Is it some sort of, we are here as two girls who are just beyond all that, and you're doing that? I mean, who knows? <laughs> and that's what I kind of, what, what I like. Mm-hmm. And why doesn't Paula want to tell her? Because she must have a good understanding of... Olivia and no it's better not to tell her 
Right. Yeah. For some reason. Yep. Yeah. Could it be like a class thing? Like yeah. you're fraternizing with the help? Like right. that kind of a situation? Because they're such close friends. I mean, we're talking about people of different perspectives trying to connect in some way or totally failing or thinking they're speaking the same language when they're not. Uh, I would say Olivia and Paula are the two closest to being on the same wavelength with their whole mm-hmm. ASMR and everything. But this is like the the one divergence we've seen from them is whatever's right. going on with this guy. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed about the two of them is that a lot of the times when they are filmed in the same shot, unless you're seeing them straight on, if it's from the side, generally uh, Olivia is framed in front of Paula. So Paula's always set back, which Mm -hmm. feels intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, And besides that, they're usually seated side by side, except for in the scene where Olivia confronts Paula on the bed towards the end of this episode and says like, Oh, who was that guy? And she doesn't, they, she's cagey about the answer. But in that scene, Paula's sitting at the back of the bed and Olivia's up at the front of the bed. And that's one of the few times that the two of them have not been side by side. So I think even visually they're showing there's this divide between them that's starting to grow based off of this, uh, whatever is going on with them. Mm. Anything else about that, Jenny? Nope. All right. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My first one is, is called New Day, where we've said each episode roughly takes a day at the beginning of this episode we saw the end of the night before where mark finds out he he doesn't have cancer and the girls are doing asmr but then it's morning and it's what you were talking about um randy where well it's nice pleasant hawaiian music and it's the beautiful morning light and we see the workers start setting up the resort for the day and then we see mark in bed feeling relieved and smiling and he's feeling like it's a new day in his life, like a turning point because he thought he was going to die and he finds out he's not. And then we see Tanya waking up 
and she's looking all happy and refreshed and she's like moving her arms like a Hawaiian dance and <laughs> I, from her treatment with Belinda, who she's now like obsessed with. And so it seems like it's a new day from her for her too, because she had just been miserable before this. And then we see Shane looking adoringly at his sleeping, you know, new wife. And it feels like we're continuing this kind of pleasant, optimistic turning point vibe and things are going to be better now. And maybe Shane will be less of a douche. And then he pulls back the sheet and looks at her boobs. <laughs> I just think that was yep. a deliberately funny little, con- you know, set of three yeah, things. For and sure. the third one wasn't quite the same. <laughs> I really wanted for Rachel to have like hair in her mouth and look like less pleasant than everybody else. Like a little bit more of a goblin when she wakes up or something. <laughs> but nope. Nope. <laughs> And then we see Belinda looking stressed and and like she didn't get enough sleep in her minds and like so those are the, the the support staff are the ones that don't have this refreshed experience. But um I think the new day thing applies mostly to Mark where he's really caught up in his near death experience as he sees it and it seems like the show's mostly making light of him um feeling like, oh, I, I, I see the world differently now. Um, but I don't know, maybe there's some nuance in there. He <clears throat> finds the bong and the drugs that Olivia and Paula have, and he starts to come down on them, but he quickly just forgets about it. <laughs> hey, yeah. I thought I had cancer, but I didn't. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I feel like he's really like, I think we've all had these experiences where we maybe went to a travel traveling or went to a a seminar or something and you feel Mm -hmm. like oh i see the world differently now things are going to be different from now on and maybe you carry some of that with you but mostly it wears off (laughs) in my (laughs) experience you know (laughs) you got a couple days of uh, new behavior and then yeah (laughs) right and if you're a certain kind of person everybody around you is feels like you're insufferable because you're trying to (laughs) spread that to them too and that's what mark's doing and i mean i can totally identify i I really identify with mark as much as it feels like in, in, in maybe some people see him this way in this show, but in any other show, a guy like this would be just like a jo- a big joke. But mm-hmm. to me, he kind of is, but also he wants his son to get off his screens and have an experience of, of life. And mm-hmm. he wants to appreciate the moment. And, you know, all the stuff he was saying at dinner, like appreciate, uh, approach everything like it's new. Like, I feel like that too, but I just know better than to go around saying that to people because <laughs> like this show is about being in your own perspective, but you can't drag other people into your own perspective forcefully, you know? And they, yeah. it is nuanced because his wife is like, yeah, dear, like they're, tr- she's trying, but she's not there with him, but she kind of gets it, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's not totally like rolling her eyes and dismissing him or anything. Um, but what I love the most is he's trying to, He's just being too forced about it, but he's trying to get Quinn in that perspective, his son, and come on, we need to appreciate every moment together and all this. And he's like, okay, dad, you know, I'll come with you. (laughs) And, and then, um, at the end when Quinn gets kicked out of his room and forced out onto the beach and he sees that whale 
and he's <laughs> amazed by it. What the fuck? And he's like having this sublime moment. And it's the exact kind of moment that his dad has been trying to get him to have. I mean, he wants it to be a together moment with the two of them. And maybe that's the irony when Quinn does have it, it's alone, but it was beautiful. I yep. thought, you know, it was a beautiful moment. And that's what I love about this show. It, it could easily just be super cynical all the time, but there's these sublime moments too. Yeah. He feels like one of the closest to what you could define as like a good guy character in this because he hasn't done anything so far that's like intentionally mean to anybody else yeah he's he kind of gets in his own way because he's very focused on himself and then very focused on the people around him he doesn't have a good balance of the two but for the most part he's a nice person which Mm -hmm. is helpful um, yeah, you're talking about the dad, right, Mark? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mark, yeah. No. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, he's just a bit insufferable, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're around him, he's you're going to feel like he's trying to push you into something that's not occurring naturally. Yeah. And that's where, but it's not like, he's good natured, he's good intentioned, he's well intentioned. Mm-hmm. It's like being at a event or a meal with that person who points out how fun or not how fun but how great this meal is and you're suddenly like pulled out of it because you're like oh now i'm like analyzing this instead of just but right now on the podcast it's fun right i'm having fun (laughs) yeah you're like i don't how does a person respond to that let's appreciate the funness of this (laughs) yeah i like he essentially each day has been forced to recontextualize his life so he yeah. thinks for the first day that he's going to die. The second day he's like, oh, I'm going to live and I'm going to live to the fullest. And then at the end of this episode, he's probably going to switch back because he's like, oh, I knew nothing about my yeah. childhood, basically. Well, yeah, he's telling Quinn that he wishes he could have known his father because I forget why, but it, I, I resonated with that, too. My grandpa mm-hmm. I wish my grandpa could have met my kids because he was really fun to be around and would have loved the kids and they would have loved him. So I regret, you know, I wish. So when he was saying that, that's what I thought. But he said, you know, he was tough and he was an alpha and I worshiped him. And then he finds out that he had AIDS and that he used to sleep with men and he had two lives. He had a gay life. And yeah, this whole theme of Mark just struggling with what it means to be a man and feeling emasculated. And then Mm -hmm. this is like feeds right into that in some way or another. And I don't really remember what happened with that. So I'm curious to find out how he deals with it all. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the first time I watched the show, I remember thinking that his storyline was very much about the emasculation, but now that I'm watching it a second time, it just feels, it seems more, uh, more deep intrinsic his his sort of um uh what happened in this episode he thought he was going to die so he has this new sense of life and i don't i didn't find it annoying that he had a new sense of life i found it annoying how he couldn't shut up about it yeah yeah you can (laughs) say it once Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you can sit around with a beatific expression on your face. Yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> but he just kept talking. We and, kind and... of already talked about it, but it's like 
the difference between having experience and talking about an experience, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, and when you sometimes talk about it, you take your, you pull yourself and everyone else around you right out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's he's, better to yeah, he's not written show, to, not tell. Yeah, he's yeah. not written as a charismatic character. I mean, there are ways, no. I'm sure there are people out there who would have this experience and then say like three or four profound statements that will start a cult. Right. But yeah. that's not him, <laughs> you know. He's just but he and he's sabotaging himself. He wants to pull people into this with him, but he's really just kind of pushing them away a little bit. Not a lot, but yeah, you know, not yeah. bringing them I, in. Yeah. On this watch, I felt more understanding of him. You know, I don't think I would have been too. cynical of him the way his kids were. I think I would have yeah. just been like, hmm, I'd, I'd be more like his wife, who has probably yeah. seen this way more often than his kids. <laughs> And also, on the other hand, maybe he did influence Quinn to appreciate that whale more than he would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it is a parent's curse that all the things that we want to experience with our children will never happen because we are the parents and they have to experience it on their own or with peers. Mm. And it's and it's sad, but, <laughs> but that's the way yeah. it is. Well, just yesterday... We did something that I wanted to do last year, but we just let the year slip by and didn't. We went to the, this water park here in San Jose, Raging Waters. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to pe- peel it back the curtain a little bit because I got my <laughs> wife here with me. But Je- uh, Jenny had invited our uh, kids' cousins to come too. And I I was like, oh, no, I wanted this to be a thing that me and my sons could do together. And I knew if the cousins were there, they would just be off by themselves and I would just be sitting by myself. So Jenny graciously told her sister that, and they didn't come. And, (laughs) and I, um, didn't know if I should tell Nico and Bodhi that because they'd be like, what? I want to hang out with my cousins, but we had a freaking great time and we laughed and it was awesome. And then I told Nico afterwards and he's like, Oh yeah, well his cousin, he would have been afraid to go on all those rides anyway. So he was right there (laughs) with me. So it was cool. But I didn't, I, I think maybe watching this episode with Mark, coach me a little bit so i didn't like make to find a point i just had fun you know <laughs> yeah yeah you didn't stop on every slide and go aren't we having a great yeah. time on this slide <laughs> yeah okay i think it's randy your turn uh yes my next point is called cast systems mm-hmm. so the tanya invites belinda to have dinner with her and belinda is resistant to it. And Tanya asks Belinda, is there some kind of caste system going on here? And what's ironic about that is that there is essentially, and (laughs) she's just unaware of it Uh, as she's she's exploiting it. Yeah, exactly. Insisting that Belinda goes to dinner with her, knowing that the staff, well, at least we know the staff is, feels pressured to please the guests at all times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she's, you know, surrounded by people who are born into completely different socioeconomic classes. And while there's some room for upward movement, for the most part, the people she's currently interacting with are stuck where they are. Um, And I think there's a thing where people say you can only conceptualize two levels of wealth above and below you. Hmm. And Tanya's wealth is so astronomical that I wouldn't be surprised if she thinks Belinda makes like three or four hundred thousand dollars a year or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but she 
invites her to dinner and she Belinda really likes the shrimp tacos, which seems to imply she's maybe never even eaten at this restaurant that she yeah. works at. Yet Tanya like, seems yeah. to yeah, not even bat an eye to any of the food or anything like that. Um but then another thing comes up where Tanya offers to uh fund Belinda's business, which is another demonstration of the power that she has that just by a decision, she could completely change this woman's life. And then she doesn't follow up with that conversation after she makes that statement. She turns to the other family and she starts talking to them. While uh, Belinda's sitting there reeling over the whole thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Unaware of the fact that, Belinda, yeah, is holding on to every word she is now saying. Like, mm. you can't just say, I'll fund your business to somebody who is at that different of a economic level than she is and not follow up with that with anything. Because now that's all Belinda's probably thinking about. And Tanya may not even be thinking about it anymore. Which just further demonstrates the fact that she has no conception of the fact that she is existing in what could be considered a caste system. I, you know, I've had an experience kind of like this recently. I have this friend who just came into a ton of wealth and he said, I'm going to put $40,000 into an account for you with my friend, my, uh, I think it's his wife's Wife's nephew or something. Friend's kid. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who who has this stock trading system and he's going to turn it into several million dollars. And I'm like, I, cause I used to day trade for a little while there. I was like, mm-hmm. why don't you just put the money in my Patreon for my podcasting? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. It's about this um, trading thing. It's going to be amazing. So then he put all this money in for a, a bunch of people that he knows and the the guy took off with it. Now he's um, oh no, he's like wanted by the feds or something like yep, that. Yep. <laughs> and I haven't heard from my friend at all. And I'm like, I could have had forty thousand dollars. Oh well, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's probably not even thinking about no. That 40, he's not, and I'm not going to bring it up. Of course. Yeah. 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 Because that's the 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 unspoken agreement we have. It's like, we want money, but you can't ask for it. No, they can offer it, but they're not going to think about it. And yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's fine. You have to just let it go. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Belinda straight up says she struggles working there, especially with uh, rich white people, which I thought was kind of remarkable that she was that open with Tanya, who is obviously a rich white person. Yeah. Uh, but Tanya continuing to be completely unaware just is like, yeah, I know a lot of rich white fucked up people who could really use you. And I think she's saying like, you know, they, they could use her massage and like that. But it also comes across as like, you're a person, my, the rich people I know can just use yeah. and get what they need out of you. And then they move on. And I mean, I, to, yeah, that, 
you could interpret that a few different ways. And yep. maybe the most charitable way is that Tanya was saying, you're right, rich white people are fucked up, but maybe if you help them, they could improve or something like yes. that, maybe. But um, I think what Belinda was really saying is she wanted to help other kinds of people. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. There are more people in the world, yeah. Yeah, I thought um, that was an interesting conversation. Like, I felt like Belinda just... You know, you get caught up in a conversation and you're being polite. At the same time, you say what you think without thinking. And then, you know, you make fun of rich people or you say something bad about a rich person. And then you realize the person you're talking to is a rich person. But, you know, yeah. one microsecond too late. But you keep smiling. And, and you keep I mean, she just had this dream and she's probably maybe thought about it before. Yeah, if I could start my own business then the kind of clientele I would want to serve are the underserved. And mm -hmm. so that's where her mind went to right away. But what um, Tanya was thinking is right. you can help people like me. Right, right. But, right, yeah. but you know, and Tanya responds the exact same way. She's just been told like, oh, rich white, rich people are, are you know, God, I hate serving mm -hmm. them. And she's like, oh, oh, no, but let's continue with the, the politeness. And I'm so excited yeah. about this. And yes, mm -hmm. you know, this means you can help all these messed up rich people <laughs> and i'm sure tanya to a degree doesn't think she's one of them like right or, yeah or or she, she may... does but she's proud of it right she's like see i, yeah. I messed up and i'm willing to admit it yeah, yeah. or that <laughs> yeah. and then the other downside to that whole engagement is that belinda's at this nice dinner with tanya and when tanya starts talking to nicole she essentially makes Belinda start doing work again because she's like, oh, you've got to get a massage from her. And Nicole's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, I'll set up an appointment. And it's like, great, I'm at dinner and now I have more work to do tomorrow. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, service industry, you can't stop hustling. <laughs> <laughs> but continuing in on like the just the levels of uh, people there, uh, Belinda is also doing a bit of emotional labor for Armand when she first interacts yeah. with him. Um, he's the boss. He probably makes more money than her. So to some degree, it's in her benefit to make sure he's doing all right, even though she may just prefer to come to work and do her job as opposed to being the one who has to be her his like sober companion for a little bit and be like, you can do this, buddy. You're going to pull through and this isn't going to be a problem where in actuality, that should probably be his job for her or she should be paid more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was impressed that this was a working two co-workers who know one of whom knows the other, you know, is trying to be sober. I mean, that mm -hmm. implies yeah. a level of intimacy, which a lot of workplaces don't have. Um, and I thought it represented that they're too close people mm -hmm. I, I also just think her character she's into wellness and she probably got into it because it's in her nature to care about people and to try to help mm -hmm. and sometimes when you're like that then you might in part be going through the motions because that's just who you are you know, like this show, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know, it's rare that something is ever 100% one way or the other, but yeah, I think she is a caring person, you know, as much as anyone in the show can be. I think she's probably the <laughs> most pure so far as far as being a good person. Yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. And then the, the one other part of the cast system that I was thinking of is that when I think of cast systems, I usually, my first thought is like India. 
mm-hmm. or a place like that. And the fact that they have dealt with a lot of colonialism. So I think the word choice was somewhat intentional because she could have said any like, oh, or is this like the wealthy class or yeah, are we class, on the Titanic? Yeah. Like just class in general. And then later on, Paula brings up that she's got a lot of thoughts in her backpack because she's writing a thesis on colonialism. Right. So I feel like they keep kind of tying these themes together in that way. Yeah, that's actually, I felt like a bit on the nose that she's writing yeah. a thesis on colonialism in this <laughs> show where you've got these Hawaiians putting on a show for the yeah. rich white people. <laughs> well, I assume she's not actually writing a thesis. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was just lying, but she was probably yeah. also thinking about colonialism yes. being yeah, in that location. <laughs> right after, or was it sometime near the conversation, which we'll get to about Nicole and her success. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> um, I liked about the whole Belinda and Tanya stuff that she's pleased that she's getting good feedback from Tanya because mm-hmm. she doesn't often know whether she's actually helping someone. That's the nuance of the show. It could easily just be her sitting there kind of half reluctantly hoping to get something out of the dinner. But but I think she actually does enjoy that Tanya asked her out and is so complimentary to her and her work. And I understand that I used to be a substitute teacher and the hardest thing about that job or one of the hardest things that was a hard job is not having gotten any feedback, you know, mm-hmm. just go into a place for a day or two and go away. You never know whether you did a good job or not. So <laughs> it's good to get, get good feedback like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also loved when Belinda said that Tanya fell asleep during the massage and she said, I knew I was asleep because I dreamed I was at the top of this beautiful mountain range in Asia. Oh, that's nice. And I had a cyanide pill. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes. What is that dream? (laughs) She didn't finish it. So no. (laughs) So funny. It does make you wonder if any of Jennifer Coolidge's lines are, uh ad-libs yeah (laughs) like they they definitely come across that way but the show feels too tight for that so i would i don't know yeah i know mike white and um you know the guy who wrote and directed everything and uh jennifer coolidge were actually good friends and that's why she's in it oh nice yeah so maybe she got special dispensation i don't know yep (laughs) (laughs) all right i think it's your turn jenny what you got okay um I found it an exciting part of the episode when Armand got the bag <laughs> full of temptation, <laughs> right when he's, you know, at his breaking point at his job and really wanting a drink or whatever, whatever Release. it is that yeah. he needs to be sober from. He gets his bag with pretty much everything, everything that has been told to us earlier in the episode as they, you know, cataloged <laughs> what was in there yeah. quite a bit, um, quite a variety. Um, so, I mean, it, it, you know, it made me think of addiction um, and, and, and being sober and how hard it can be because, you know, we're in a land of plenty. We are in a land of opportunity and wealthiest the human race has ever been mm-hmm. yes and and everything is everywhere i mean there you know it's not like oh you know i detoxed because i couldn't get my hands on anything you here you can get 
your hands on everything, even in prison, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, so this poor guy who has an addiction in the land of opportunity, it's just, you know, it's just a matter of time, apparently. Five years, this bag lands, and it's just, it's sad. He, it's hard to resist. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I like how he kind of had it on hold, probably in his mind, he wasn't sure he was going to do it, but when the girl came looking for it, he lied <laughs> and yep. said it wasn't there. <laughs> he wants to keep the option open. Yeah. I do oh. also wonder if he considers this a relapse because he said he hasn't had a drink. So I could see in his mind him being like, well, I'm, I still haven't had a drink. I tried this pill. This is different. So I'm still okay. I could <laughs> see that, but to me, it really felt like... Okay, fuck it. Uh, it's a relapse. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, but uh, but I can see what you're saying because, okay, he's not having a drink, but man, he needs to relax because this job is really getting to him. So maybe just a Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then once you take that Xanax, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to have a drink. Here's the thing. I freeze framed it and he took a couple of Adderall. Yeah, I was trying to figure oh, out which one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is amphetamines. So yeah. that's his style, you know? Different <laughs> strokes for different folks. Well, there's also, right as he's taking that, I noted there's this high pitched singing voice that comes in and then it gets altered slightly, uh, I think digitally, and it keeps getting higher and higher in the pitch. <laughs> and the second he takes the pill, that cuts out. So it's just suddenly that yeah. part is silent. So it's like he's blocking something out with that and yeah you feel the relief yourself too sure i mean just the whole thing about them have olivia between olivia and uh paula having all those prescription drugs clonopin and xanax and whatever <laughs> it speaks to how we're over medicated as a culture some of these things are necessary for sure but i, I personally i think we've come to a point where we think that we shouldn't ever feel uncomfortable, you know, or, (laughs) or at least that we can't deal with those things head on in some healthier way than just numb it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it would depend to like what degree you're going with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, And how bad, yeah. How bad your, your problems are. And I mean, yeah, I've tried pretty much every one of those. (laughs) that they mentioned. I mean, so here's the thing is, I want to talk about this since we're talking about it. I love the bag of drugs is crucial to this episode. And I love how it's introduced where Olivia and Paula are being like bored. And I wish we had drugs. Oh, wait, I have weed and this bong. (laughs) Oh, wait, I have some Adderall. Oh, I have Ambien, Xanax, Clonopin. Oh, I also have some ketamine. (laughs) It's like they went from zero to like full pharmacy in about 30 seconds. And I like that Paul is like, we can't take too many of the Clonopin. I need them in case I have a panic attack. (laughs) Like, well, (laughs) you're mixing a lot of drugs there. You may have a panic attack. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's another interesting thing is that that whole uh, exchange about uh, what is it highly sense being a highly sensitive person. Yeah. And Nicole says that's not real. And, and there, there was a part of me that's like, if you're that um, sensitive, then you should be careful about taking all those drugs. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's really hard to tell. Yeah. It's hard to tell with the girls, how much of them is serious or how much of them is just being snarky and using like, terms Mm -hmm. they know as weapons um i did look that up uh hsp is a highly sensitive person 
Uh, it's a neurodivergent individual who is thought to have an increased or deeper central nervous system sensitive to physical, emotional, or social stimuli. Uh, some refer to it as having sensory processing sensitivity. So I would assume if she had that, being where she was would totally set it off already. So I'm thinking maybe it's a, a little bit of a joke. Well, I mean, they have a whole ASMR you know, segment. So I do think, you know, that wouldn't work unless you were HSP, right? I mean, no, Ma, I don't know about that. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of people enjoy ASMR, ASMR without being yeah. highly sensitive. Okay. My yeah. sense, uh, yeah, and I think there's so many ways to interpret different things. I'm not, and then I'm not hardly ever 100% sure. I interpreted that as she does at least think she has it. And I do think it's a real thing too, by the way, but um, I think probably there's a lot of people who just read about it and think they have it, but they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, right. she does. She also says, um, was it, uh, be careful cause you can inflame my Morgellons. Yeah. And oh gosh. Mor- Morgellons is when you believe there are like little hairs and fibers growing out of your skin. So I don't know if that's something you can inflame or or what, but she also doesn't show any indication of dealing with that. So right. I can't tell if they are just messing with the mom or believe they have those yeah. things. Because there's like I've talked about the um, different perspectives and one of those is youth versus older people. And there's this eternal feeling that from the older people that the youth are oversensitive and coddled and the Mm -hmm. younger people think the older people are psychologically unhealthy for not addressing their issues and stuff like that. And so I, I, my interpretation was it played into that where they're Mm -hmm. younger. And so they just sort of get inundated with, Oh, you got to take care of yourself. You might have anxiety. You might have this, you might have that. And then they start to think that they might have more than they actually really do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a possible interpretation there. Yeah, I mean, well, I, as a as a as a young person, like I started working at a literary agency at one point, and there were a lot of self help books, and I started reading them. And at some point, I thought, eh, the more I read about this, the more I just am thinking about it and feeling like I have these things. So I right. think I had to find a balance between how much of this is helpful and how much of this is just talking myself into feeling like that, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and some of it was definitely helpful. Yeah. And I, I liked how the drug section ended with them taking the drugs and then Tanya comes up to them and starts talking about her dead mother and ashes. And, and yeah. just, it just reminded yeah. me of like... The worst person you want to come up with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just, you know, I think every, not everybody, but many people may identify with that situation when you're in a very precarious mental and emotional <laughs> state and something so bizarre happens and you can't tell whether something bizarre is happening. Or right. is it happening in my head and I'm yes. seeing it as bizarre? And talking about her mother and her ashes and they're just like, fuck. Like, just <laughs> yeah. trying to nod and keep it together until they can get the hell out of there. Yep, yep. Yeah. I feel like I've been in some of those situations when I was younger. I remember an adult 
coming and sitting and talking to us about volcanoes for a while. <laughs> and we're like, is this happening? And I think we eventually realized that he was really drunk. So <laughs> we were like, all right, we're all sort of in the same realm here. We're exacerbating but... each other's yeah, yeah. <laughs> situations here. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like every one of their highs got interrupted. Like That's when right. they, the mom comes in to announce that the dad doesn't have cancer. And I feel Olivia was completely unaware that he might have even had cancer. Yeah. So it's like, you just got high and you're like, oh, crap, my dad had cancer. <laughs> Wait, no, he doesn't have cancer. Why are you in here? <laughs> well, first off, I mean, this show really knows how to impart the feeling of a beautiful moment, I feel like, which is really interesting for a show that could just be seen as mostly cynical. And so they're there doing ASMR, which I've never really found all that. Yeah. Uh, didn't really do anything. Doesn't but I actually, yeah, like the lighter <laughs> flick and the pills clinking in the bottle and the hissing of the flame of the lighter. And it, it was, it was pretty sensual and intimate, you know, like, like I say, they, <laughs> these two feel like they're the closest together. And then she's breathing out the smoke and breathing it. And then you hear, yeah, from the next room <laughs> that just cut it, you know? And, and yep. I, I love that because last we saw that's of course, Mark finding out he didn't have cancer, which I, kind of thought right away oh, okay he must have gotten the news and it's so interesting that in the end of last episode we were very in that moment with him Where, when's he gonna call and the call gets yeah. cut off for the doctor we'll call you back and then we'll get left hanging and then when he finds out you're in olivia's perspective and this show's all about perspective and why some people care about things that other people don't so it was really interesting to have him find out in her perspective because it just seemed like an outside annoyance to her yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> mom just... comes in and tells them and she's like okay can you get out of here <laughs> yeah. and then she goes back in and essentially lies about what's going on where she's yeah like, well, the they, they were so, so happy. excited yeah. <laughs> exactly really good yeah yeah the uh when they're doing the asmr and just the each time they get high they end up bringing in the depth of field really close and they get in really tight and they do just like these close-ups on all of these different little objects. And then as soon as the mom does come in and says something, it snaps back to like a wide shot. Mm -hmm. You've lost the depth of field. And the same thing happens when Tanya approaches. Like she's out of focus for a while and then she appears and the camera cuts back to all three of them. And it's just that sudden cut of like, oh, I'm in this dreamy state to like, oh, shit, I'm back in reality. And <laughs> yeah. What the hell is happening? Like, <laughs> You know, I've often felt, you know, we've watched so much movies and TV shows in our lives that sometimes I find myself referring to TVs and movies to describe a state of being. Like if I, I've only slept, you know, three hours in the past 48 hours and then I drank six cups of coffee, you know, double <laughs> espresso. I'm like, my life, everything seems like an indie movie right now. You know, <laughs> everything's like, you just feel weird and everything's like, what was it? Hi hyper focus. Um, yep. No, no, no depth of field kind of thing. And everything's kind of washed out in gray. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I think they did a very good job of like, oh, when you're high. Yes. Everything is kind mm -hmm. of focused right yeah. So, yeah or slow down or or, uh -huh. or and or, sensory right mm -hmm. so yeah they, uh yeah so for all the people From who have never done drugs um we feel like <laughs> the filming was 
uh, captured the essence. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need to do it. <laughs> the be- I, one of the best I've seen is um, Midsummer, where they took, if you ever watched that, they did shrooms and just the way things sort of shimmer, but you're not quite, is it shimmering? You know, and like, <laughs> yeah, that was really good. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, my turn. This one's called Agency, Independence, and Achievement. And it's about the contrast between... Nicole, who's, of course, an accomplished, uber-successful CEO, we find out of a search engine, which seems like a big deal, and Rachel, who's at the beginning of her career. She's made some inroads, but she's faced with the idea of giving it up. And it brings up a lot for me. The whole thing about her getting offered to do a story about this YouTube influencer who got 80,000 teenagers to vote, and um, she doesn't pay pays only a few hundred dollars but if she keeps saying no to these jobs they won't come to her with assignments anymore and shane's like you're on your honeymoon and i'm like yeah that is a really good point but then he has to ruin it by asking if she's going to write some disposable garbage which (laughs) i feel like is a clue to how much he respects her work Mm -hmm. quickly imparted the way this show does yes (laughs) seems like he doesn't respect it he only wants her because she's hot and um then he's like, eh, it does you don't need the money. Who cares? He's basically saying you can give up. Just don't worry about working. And when he said, come on, you're my wife. You must have thought about this. And she has thought about it, I'm sure. But it it doesn't make it easy just to set aside everything that she struggled for. Or mm-hmm. and, and it's about it's about security because. They, I love that when she talks with Nicole later, they talk about the prenup and she's like saying, yeah, when, if, if we divorce, I will, he gave me generous settlement, but she won't be set for life. And so if she gives up the progress she's made in her career at this point, then she'll be stuck. And so that's part of it. It's about security, but it's also just about, as she says, being lost in her orbit, you know, giving up her identity, being totally subsumed by him. And she doesn't want that. And mm-hmm. 
or she's not sure anyway. So it was really interesting. And now I think, cause I had thought before when she was talking to Olivia and Paula that she was trying to sort of steer the conversation towards her mom because she had some agenda in mind. But now I think she just genuinely admires the mother. And because these issues of success and agency and independence are on her mind and Nicole is like, maybe an ideal where she could potentially see herself in many years, or at least she's an example of a woman who totally has full control of her own life because of how much power and success she has. That's why I think she's interested in her. And when she Mm -hmm. goes and says hi to her, she, she's not, I forgot. I thought, Oh yeah, she was trying to get something from her, but no, I think she's just a fan and she wanted to express her admiration for her because of what she's going through, you know? And so then that whole conversation was really fascinating because Nicole's so supportive (laughs) and it's such a supportive conversation. And that moment where she finds out she wrote that article and goes, Oh, that was fucked up. And (laughs) the look on her face at first seems like she's impressed Mm-hmm. But then she goes, that that was bullshit. And, and that's a moment in this series that stands out for me because it yeah. was such a quick turn from this two women supporting each other to one woman hates the other yeah, one. Immediately, it yes. So, yeah. and, and it was amazing because, you know, most of us, I think, would be a little less uh, forthright about that. And I kind of admire Nicole for being honest about how she felt. Maybe she wasn't so Mm -hmm. fair about it. So maybe that's not the good part, but for just having the courage to just say exactly what she felt. And then later when she was talking to her husband about, um, about what's her name, uh, Rachel, she said, yeah, it was nice of her to come up. So there's still some room for nuance there. She doesn't just go, oh yeah, she's a shitty person. It's like, yeah, that was felt nice, but she's a bad journalist. (laughs) (laughs) Which also felt like it depended on which audience she was talking to. In that moment, she really wanted her daughter to show her respect. To know that someone admired her. Yeah, so she's not going to say, the one person who finally showed me respect is also the person that like devastated me in this article. <laughs> yeah. It, it it did make me wonder if Nicole feels that way about most articles that are written about her or if this one was specifically one that stood out for her. I yeah, mean, she I clearly mean, I, remembered it. I think it's probably a sore spot for her. She feels like I worked my ass off to get to where I am and everyone just attributes it to some other force, this me too movement and whatever um, trials she had going on where she mm-hmm. got uh, pushed in, not because of her own work and ability, but something else, you know, I feel like that hit a sore spot. Maybe she's also just really picky about any article, but I do. Think no, that was I mean, she remembered. Spot. I mean, that yeah. came from a, place of emotion she, she remembered that yeah. article so she yeah. was quite she aware was like, oh, of that you. i'm glad you're here yeah. i've been wanting to tell you but i mean i i, I like that I, I like that exchange because to be honest like you i i kind of admired nicole because yeah. she kind of did what mm-hmm. i've always wanted to do that when i'm pissed with someone i am pissed with them at the right time right, right. <laughs> instead of being like oh you wrote that article oh oh yeah that was, oh, that was interesting. That yeah. was interesting. Was, and then, uh, like, the next day, you're like, wait, I hated that article. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Arguing in the shower. I would have wanted to have the courage. I mean, maybe she didn't have to be quite as rude, you know, but 
she sure didn't hold back and she really said what she thought. So mm-hmm. I think, um, honestly, I don't know. She probably didn't have to be that rude because she could probably tell that Rachel didn't have bad intentions. But I also love the moment where Rachel said, oh, well, I was basically just repurposing the profile to post it on you, which is basically saying I cut and pasted. Uh, Yeah, I am a shitty journalist. Right away. She goes, that's bad journalism, Nicole says. And that's I admired her for that, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just kept Mm -hmm. digging her hole there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it made her, I mean, I think Nicole came out the winner in that conversation as far as who's the most admirable, to me anyway. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so then Nicole, like her whole thing at dinner, the other side of this where like um, Rachel's all about struggling with whether to keep basically amassing success and power for her herself or give that up, which sounds really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Nicole already has it. and. Olivia's uh, criticizing her for it. So they get into this argument and Nicole says, um, most people admire people who achieve things, but you, Olivia, somehow look at it as if it's a personality disorder. And she goes, making shit happen all the time is a compulsion. It staves off feelings of emptiness or whatever. Okay. The real question is what exactly are you getting done? Putin is an overachiever. He's impressive. (laughs) Also evil. So, that just made me think, you know, there's sort of a point there. Some people are naturally inclined towards amassing wealth and power. And usually they do that, or at least a lot of times, especially in a capitalistic society, by offering something that people respond to and want. But mm-hmm. they they can take it to such a degree that the their want for power and profit and wealth outweighs things like protecting the environment, helping the disadvantaged, you know, it gets lopsided. So you need a balancing force there. And that government at its best is that's what that's for to regulate these things so that Mm -hmm. things maintain for the most common good rather than having things too lopsided where just the people who are really good at amassing wealth and power end up having all the power. And then, workers get screwed and Mm -hmm. the wealth gap is too large. And so um, that's kind of what this whole conversation is about with them, where she says that the search engine has torn apart the fabric of society or something like that. It's like, (laughs) yeah, at a certain point you got to look at whether what you're doing is, is it good if you're just the only measure is that you have a lot of money, uh, but mm-hmm. what else is or going that on you're there? successful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, the, it, there are two sides and we need people like this who are good at generating wealth to have, like I said before, we're at the wealthiest point in human history. So, um, and people are medically better off in general because of this kind of a thing too. Like if it wasn't for, advances in how we do things economically there wouldn't also be advances in how we do things medicinally you know i think Mm -hmm. so but there has to be a balance there that's i guess i'm on a soapbox right now but that's what (laughs) i think of this whole exchange between the two of them but they both kind of have a point you know yeah Yeah. i mean i felt like uh you know one thing this show has sometimes been criticized about is that you know it focuses on the issues of 
rich white people or something yeah. like that, right? And so you you see um, uh, Mark, he's like, oh, masculinity and 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 uh, you know, getting you know having a, a rebirth, you know, after his his non uh, cancer diagnosis, and then we have Rachel on the opposite end, like femininity. What does it mean, you know, to be to be on the other side, like to be a wife or to be a career woman or something like that? Um, and then we have Nicole arguing with her her daughter about like the meaning the meaning behind her job. Um, and these are all issues that people who have food every day on their table. You know, think about and yeah, these are have also, the luxury, right? And yeah. these are also the issues that people who don't have food on the table every day sometimes think about too. Like, why, <laughs> why am I here? And, and uh, or like, am I? But not as know? much. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. have food every day on the table, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so, but um. But it's all Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, right, if right. you don't have your lower needs met, yeah. then you don't have the luxury of focusing on the higher needs. Right. Yeah. Whatever, you have to you know. stay alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, how far do they want to go with this? I mean, you know, I actually identify with Nicole a lot. Uh, I wish I, you know, was more like her and had way more money. But <laughs> <laughs> I identify with her in terms of. Well, it's it's weird because I also identify with her daughter because recently I've also had some like thoughts about my career. I'm like, I'm a physician and people are like, you save lives. I'm like, I saved the lives of the species that is destroying this earth. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel not sure whether the overall, you know, when I'm standing there in front of Anubis and you've got the scales of good and bad, <laughs> I'm really not sure where it's going to go. Um, so she could go that far, but she's not going to because she's Nicole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that Mark attempts to defend her as meekly as he does. And the only defense he gives is he goes, your mother isn't Putin. <laughs> and she just looks over at him for a minute and it's like, thank you. <laughs> like, he said something about she's managed to have a lot of success as a woman yeah. in a man's world or something like that. Yeah, which is interesting that he will admit that when talking to her, but his thoughts on his own is kind of like, why are they taking this man's world away from us? I think he's, yeah, I don't know. He's just struggling with it. Mm -hmm. I think he's, um, it's complicated, it like you know, circling the drain for what is actually bothering him. Yeah. And it might be, well, that he doesn't have a, a goal at this point. He's married to, uh, it's interesting cause it's kind of the reverse of, um, Rachel and Shane where Rachel's mm -hmm. af afraid of being a moon in Shane's orbit. And, I would say maybe a, to a lesser degree or maybe not that um, Mark is a moon in Nicole's mm -hmm. orbit. You know, she's this powerful, famous CEO and he's her husband. CFO. Mm -hmm. I thought she was a CEO. <laughs> she's CFO. All, all right. Let's bet a beer on that. Cause I think she's CEO. <laughs> Are we on? Uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're gonna bet. Okay, just yeah. checking. Okay, so um, she's either a CEO <laughs> or <a> CFO, <laughs> and um, and so he, I think he feels like a moon in her orbit, and I think he um, 
I I think logically he's totally cool with that. That yeah, he stands he seems behind. Yeah, he stands behind the idea that women are equally capable as men and should be able to be in any position of power just like any man. But I think emotionally he's feeling like, oh, I'm like I'm not as powerful as I thought my father was or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things Nicole says to Rachel is that your power is your independence. And in that statement, she's referring to, you know, not being fully dependent on her husband for things. But I do think her mindset also is like, I'm strong independently. It's not her and Mark that are this like uh team she's the strong one and Mark is there with her. And I think yeah. that's part of her mindset is like your independence has to be what makes you strong. You can't rely on anybody else. Um, and I think she takes that kind of to the, like her career and the way she just carries herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas she is giving that advice to somebody else, but maybe doesn't apply that to her own husband. Yeah. It feels like, yeah, they don't really, they've gotten to a point where they're not that conscious of each other. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of like roommates. Who, yeah. yeah. But, um, I admire how both of these characters, Mark and Nicole could have easily been super annoying based on the characteristics that they're given, but I don't find mm-hmm. either one of them that annoying. I think the, one of the yet. redeeming, yeah. One of the mm-hmm. redeeming things is they both seem to genuinely care for their kids yeah in very different ways like yeah uh mark is like out there really trying to connect with his son he's not just saying like hey bud we should connect and then he's not showing up to the activities <laughs> he's like basically dragging him to them and the mom wants her daughter to respect her um she might not be doing it the best way for that particular daughter but there's clearly a care there and she also yeah. clearly cares for Quinn as well, which I think really helps to make them seem like likable people. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think who do I find annoying or the most annoying. And the one that comes to mind first, maybe of course is Shane, Yeah, but it's interesting because I've also felt like he's got a point more than once. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing about like, having a point but being such a dick about it that nobody wants to give it to you (laughs) that's true yes and he's also just been a straight up you don't have a point like here when he forbids her from doing the job you know no you're not doing it i'm like no you can't say that and of course she right away says you can't tell me that so i admire her for that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah he kind of simultaneously says like you can do anything you want but but you can't do that (laughs) So it kind of seems like whatever she ends up saying she wants to do, he's still going to be like, well, no, not that, but you can do anything. And it kind (laughs) of seems like she wants to do this. Yeah. Writing assignment. He's not getting her because he's like, I will pay you twice what you were going to pay. It's like, no, dude, you don't understand. It's about identity and, you know, feeling like you have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And also, just in that interaction with Nicole and Rachel, one thing that I noticed came up a couple times in this episode is that people are apologizing, but they're not actually apologizing. (laughs) So after all of that is said, Nicole speaks her piece. Rachel says, I'm sorry you didn't like the piece. She doesn't say, I'm sorry I wrote something horrible about you. I'm sorry that made you feel bad. She says, I'm sorry you 
didn't like the piece. Mm -hmm. And then earlier on, Armand says to Shane, you know, I'm sorry if a mistake has happened, then I'm sorry about that. So a lot of non-apologies happening throughout this episode. Yep. All right. I think it's your turn. Randy, do you have any more points? Um, The only other one. Well, okay. I have two mini ones, I think. One is the Armon request watch, uh, which we've touched on a couple of it. He doesn't quite own up to his mistake with Shane. I think he gets a maybe on denying a request by only giving them the bottle of champagne, considering they're paying $170,000. When Olivia asks about the lost backpack, he straight up lies and says, nope, we can't find it. Um, But it does look like uh, Tanya is having a massage with Belinda and uh, in the end of the last episode, she asked him to set that up for her. So he may have given her that request. And then my other small one, which we were kind of touching on, was does Shane have a redeeming factor? And is that kind of the point of his character? Is that the only thing that's redeeming about him is that he has money? <laughs> um so I was going through kind of some of what he has done, and I'm, I feel like I can stretch to make some of them seem like, all right, maybe he's got his heart in the right place, but he's just too much of a dick to, to pull it off. So I do agree that her working on her honeymoon doesn't make sense. It's the one yeah. time you should not be doing any work. But at the same time, he has spent most of the honeymoon chasing down Armand and trying to get the room switched. And I, I think that like her even going there because it is rude. You, you don't Mm -hmm. on your honeymoon, but I think even her going there, whether it's fully conscious on her part or not is sort of to take a stand on the issue, you know, because it is that important to her. And if he had been, had a clue at all, then he would understand what it was about for her, like identity and stuff like that. Not about Mm -hmm. money. (laughs) And I could also see her possibly uh, ignoring that assignment had he been more present for their honeymoon. She might not have even checked her email, uh, but he's she's doubting they're even going to be a good couple. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's spending time talking to the German couple, trying to find out if they're how long they're staying while she's off by herself. Um, Yeah. And I think he was speaking German, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, um, Rachel asks if he was being an asshole. He claims he was trying not to be, which, you know, maybe is a conscious effort that he's like, yeah, I know I can be an asshole and I'm trying not to be, but he still sucks at it. And she even calls him out on it. She says, you failed, right? (laughs) That was cute. Yeah. Um, and then every night before they go to bed, essentially, Shane just says something terrible to her right before they then end up having sex. I think in the last episode, he says to her, this is how every day is going to be. And she just spent the day being insulted by teenagers, ignored by her husband, and just having a miserable day. And then he was like, this is going to be every day. <laughs> and then in this episode, he 
tells her he's going to give her what every woman wants, apparently, and that's a trip to Burning Man in a floating RV, which just felt like a mild insult to be like, oh, you know that stupid little thing that you wanted to write about? Well, I'm going to make a joke about it right before we go to bed, and... She seems to put up with it, but it does seem to be a running thing for him to just be like, I'm going to give you one little jab right before we go to bed because I think it's funny, but he completely misses what she's feeling. Yeah. And she just sort of, it felt to me like, okay, that was dumb, but if I don't go with it, it's going to be a big issue. Yeah. (laughs) Which does seem to be the question she asks him a lot. Yeah. She's like, is this going to be a problem? (laughs) Is that what you kind of thought, Jenny? I'm curious. That that marriage is a huge collection of minor moments that (laughs) (laughs) and minor compromises that you wonder. But in each specific solitary one, of course not. Yeah, of course Jenny's not. Uh, mostly <laughs> talking about her first marriage, by the way. <laughs> not the perfect one that happened after. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, so Jenny, would you marry Shane? <laughs> <laughs> he's loaded. It's interesting because I mean he's such a douche, right? <laughs> is he yeah, is- evil? He's not evil. He's not like. I mean, you know, he's not Putin, <laughs> yeah. but he's just like a lot of minor, horrible things. And then you think like, I think the two people who can put up with that is either a really Zen person <laughs> or a really immature young person mm. or, 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 or the Zen person is like someone who's older and who has dealt with that, but they're not going to be hot enough for him anyways. Um, so <laughs> it's like... Would I deal with that? You know what? If I was like 22, straight out of college, and had no experience, and had no idea what my boundaries were, oh my mm-hmm. God, someone like that would totally, you know, roll you know, roll over Sweep me. you away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there'll probably be a divorce at age 35, <laughs> kids, all that stuff. <laughs> but I can kind of understand the beginning, right? If you don't have mm-hmm. enough experience, all these little things, you keep thinking, I can deal with it. I mean, this is why people like dating younger people because they have so much more elasticity emotionally, (laughs) (laughs) right? They can put up with bullshit uh, that by the time you're 40, Mm -hmm. you're like, no. (laughs) No, I always sit on the left side of the couch. There's no compromise. (laughs) And as much as I said, I can, um, well, I forget exactly what I said, but that I could identify with him. It's more about things like, you know, like I've said in the last episode, if you get the wrong room on your honeymoon, you're going to talk to the manager and see mm-hmm. if you can get the right room. But then you, then where I don't is like, okay, once you're not getting it, don't fixate on it because that's going to ruin it. But, yeah. um, but, but the more importantly with him is I think it seems like he just married Rachel because he thinks she's hot and he doesn't want her to have a real personality or yeah. a, a, to be a human being in and of herself. And I think that's what makes him the least good person on the show from mm-hmm. my perspective, you know? Oh, definitely. She's, she's yeah. hot and she's still pliant, right? I mean, you can see her kind of <laughs> yeah. thinking about it, but she's, yeah. she's still like, okay. I mean, like 
he could have married someone who was like, oh my God, you gave us the wrong room too. And then there, there are two of them, you know, <laughs> two little <laughs> yeah. shades going after <laughs> poor little Armand, right? But no, he's married someone who is now like giving in and, you know, mm-hmm. and she's hot. I mean, you know, he wants that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like his movement towards getting the other room is like in defense of his wife. It's just in defense of being right. And that seems to be kind of his like core uh, character trait is just, I need to be right. Even if that means I screw everything up. And to get what I'm entitled to. Yes. Yep. And he's not being sensitive to his wife. He can't understand Mm -hmm. that it's important to his wife not to make waves. And he doesn't even feel that. He's actually going against her. Not only is it not for her, but it's against what would make her happy. And then when she's talking about her career, you know, uh, uh, second thoughts and all that stuff. He's not like, he, he's like, I know the answer. You know, he's not really listening to yeah. her at all. No. Yeah. And then he's like, when he sees that he's upset her, he tries to turn on this little charm thing that yeah. really kind of just steamrolls over her. Yeah. It does Douche seem bag. like it's, yeah. Just being like, let's ignore your feelings for right now. And yeah. Yeah. So He's a catch. I think we all agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, so if you tried to figure out what anyone would see in him, he's a decent looking guy, he's loaded, mm-hmm. and he's confident. So those yeah. are the things. And, and he, may, he may be well hung, as Olivia pointed be, out. Yeah. <laughs> you would hope Maybe. so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else, Randy? Uh, I think that's it for my points. Jenny Quo? Um, okay, so I was also wondering, um, that part in the show where, where, um, Shane says, I'm going to give you what every girl wants. What went through your head? I'd love to know (laughs) what our listeners, you know, the first things that went through their head when he said that (laughs) before he said what he said. Because my first thought was like, 30 minutes of cunnilingus? Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah I think that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yes. I assumed it was going to maybe less pleasure centered on her. I thought it was going to be right. more like, oh, I'm going to give you the best loving you've ever had. And it's like, right. Eh, all right. And then he says, oh, no, I'm going to take you to Burning Man in an RV. And I'm just like, oh. Uh, <laughs> Plus, I, I don't think there's such a thing as an electric RV that floats. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that's what crushes the fantasy. Yeah, I thought he was gonna eat her out. So yeah. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe everybody thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My only note is um, that when Quinn asked for a hit on Olivia's bong and she said no, he should have insisted. I agree. <laughs> I, I have that written down. It's just like, why the hell not? <laughs> but that's part of his character. He's a bit pathetic. Yep. And it's sad, but that's how he is. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you so. think it's this family? This family has like hardcore yeah. woman, right? I mean, yes. like Olivia is basically her mother. Um, yeah. And then her brother, uh, Olivia's uh, Quinn is basically like, like his dad, like yeah. Mark. She also has a friend with her, which gives her the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. But she's just mean to him all the time. You feel like that's the dynamic. She bullies him. Yeah. That was probably the most like confrontational he's been with her. And that was probably too much out of his comfort zone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His story. I don't want to give too much away, but I think his storyline is my favorite 
of the characters this season. Yeah. So when we I get think to that's that, a, I'll talk it's about up that there. More. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the ending to the episode was, was magical. So, yeah, and it was right. super short, but yet it was one of the best. Mm-hmm. And yes. his line, his little freak out where he's like, it's vacation. It's a breakfast buffet in Hawaii. It shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be a stressful situation, mom. <laughs> See now there. And that's where Olivia's saying, oh, you need to manage everything because she was moving the furniture and stuff. And yep. I was sort of sympathetic to her. I'm like, yeah, move it around the way you like it. And hey, you're trying <laughs> to get everybody to breakfast. Come on. Why? That's yeah. not stressful. Get the fuck. We're going to breakfast. <laughs> yeah, it's like, for some reason, I could totally see myself at his age, though, having that outburst. Yeah, of course. For yeah. no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, God, you're always telling me what to do. Get off my back. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm coming. I want to go to breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't leave without me. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I noted was that the book Rachel is reading is My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. Um, I didn't see anything in the story that seemed related, but it did get turned into an HBO show a couple of years prior to this one. So mm. I feel like that's just a little East HBO Easter egg. <laughs> nice. And then one other note is that uh, looking through the wallpapers again, I was trying to find and if there are any additional connections to the characters. Not really, but in Hawaiian culture, the hibiscus flower can be used to signify a married woman or a woman who's looking for a husband. So if you wear the hibiscus flower in your left ear, you're married. If you wear it on the right, you're searching for a husband. Mm. Um, and Like actively looking, not just single? I think so, okay. yeah. Um, and the characters who have the flowers on their wallpaper are Rachel... Um, Quinn, which is interesting, and then um, Belinda, but hers starts the watercolor starts bleeding, and then Jennifer Coolidge's uh, uh, Tanya's wallpaper has the small monkey with a flower in its ear, but it's in the left ear, which implies it's a married monkey. So <laughs> I don't think that connects quite right. So I'm gonna keep an eye out though. Yeah, yeah. So my brilliant friend is a is a great book. I've read that. And it is about strong women. I've heard some reviews say that it is about like strong women in the world of men, but I thought it did a very mm. good job of just writing about a woman's experience without having yeah. to relate it. Yeah. Well, then that definitely fits Rachel. For sure. Uh, yeah. Trying to, trying to negotiate that life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into some news. Just a little bit. One thing, Town and Country had an article about what we know about the White Lotus season three, and I was going to read from it, but then uh, mostly there were things about actors from the first two seasons talking about whether they'd want to work with Mike White again. And um, I didn't want to read from it because then you'll know they probably aren't in the box at the beginning of this episode if they think there's a chance. Uh, I mean, at the beginning of the season, you know, they think there's a chance of being on again. So I'm just going to say the quotes from some of the actors without saying their names, just because I mm-hmm. think it's it'll give an insight on what it's like to work with Mike White. So an in an interview in 2023, one of the actors said they have yet to be asked back for season three, but would love to return. Quote, I've loved cor- collaborating with him and I'll say yes to him till the end of time. 
Another actor, this one from season two, talked about a possible future storyline for their character and then said, I don't want to think about it too much because the idea of that makes me so happy. I don't want to be disappointed. I would want nothing more than that. I just love working with Mike so much. Another actor said, Mike, quote, wrote me and said, I want to work with you again. But they said they don't know if that means for season three. And another actor said, quote, the nice thing about Mike is that he's created a continuing world where these characters can interact in the future. And I guess there was something about the possibility of like an all-star season. If they go (laughs) multiple seasons, you know, bring a bunch of characters back. So I just thought it was cool that... People, you know, some shows are more fun or more interesting to work on and some less so. And and it seems like if you can believe this, that it's a great show to work on. I mean, when you consider some of the differences, like in The Walking Dead having to be covered in like zombie guts and it's super hot and these guys were just like hanging out at a resort. Chilling at a resort. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty good job. (laughs) But that's the thing though, That that's funny, but Walking Dead is another one of those shows where people just love working on it. Yeah. And I think it's about the attitude that permeates the set. And in Walking Dead's case, you know, Andrew Lincoln was at the at the head of mm-hmm. that and it just went down even when he left the show it continued on without yeah him. just a respect that happens on set and a joy and a fun where there are other sets apparently where it's all egos and people being yep. assholes you know yeah <laughs> that's good to hear though <laughs> yeah yeah i was glad to hear that mike white's a good guy All right. So we only got one message this week. I think that's in part because we were only recording a few days later after we recorded (laughs) our first episode. We're going to be on a more regular schedule after this, like once a week. But um, it's from Wendy. Who wants to read it? I'll take it. Hey, Wendy. Wendy Ann says, it still feels like you have no idea where it's going, but the characters keep me intrigued. I love Tanya the most so far. Randy wanted to know who people thought was the dead person. At first, I went for the obvious answer of Rachel, but now I'm thinking Quinn. I secretly hope it's the never-seen Shane's mother, lol. (laughs) Interesting. So should we say who we think is the body, like, episode per episode? Because I think I thought it was Rachel after the first episode. I mean, if I had a bet on it. And the second one, I still think it's Rachel. (laughs) yeah i think it's tricky it's tricky because i really don't want to give anything away but if i try my best just to say straightforwardly who i thought it was at this point in the series i thought it was rachel Hmm. yeah my first watch first episode i thought it was rachel second episode i was thinking it was quinn so Mm. i'm with i'm with wendy as well we're on the same page cool Alrighty, that is our show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you guys are digging this. Next up, we'll have the White Lotus Season 1, Episode 3, Mysterious Monkeys. And Jenny and I will be in beautiful Hawaii. Randy, you should fly over. Join us. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. I do have $29,000 burning a hole in my pocket, so... (laughs) 
You'll have to let us visit your room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I. Uh, and, then, uh, we'll and, and then and then we'll be like, yeah. no plunge pool. Yeah, I didn't bring up the podcasting setup where we can all be in the same place. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I have a very fancy setup. It's very expensive. I don't know if you guys could handle it. <laughs> If you want to write in or send us a voice message about it, you can find all our contact information at podcastica.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our other shows. Yeah, we have a new one that just started. It's Good Omens, which is a fantasy comedy based on the Neil Gaiman novel with Michael Sheen as an angel and David Tennant as a demon. Nope, nope, nope. Not Neil Gaiman. It's Terry Pratchett. No, it's It's Neil Gaiman. I think it's both of them. Oh, oh. maybe it's both. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it both? I think so. I, I think know it's a collaboration. Neil Gaiman's involved, and um, Nicole's the CEO of the search engine <laughs> company. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know that. For sure. I'm gonna go look that up. But um, anyway, Good Omens is—it's a British show. It's fun. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's part of for the podcast. It's kind of a cross-promotional thing with. TV podcast industries, which um, Derek and John are a part of. They do the podcast. They are delightful. And um, yeah, so I highly recommend checking that out. If you go to podcastica.com, you can find the podcast and the shows on Amazon Prime. That's awesome. I haven't started the second season, but the first season was incredible. Yeah, good, good stuff. All right, that is our show. Thanks for listening. Okay, great. Can you guys go back to your spaces now?